In the young adult novel, Aragon, on their quest to find sanctuary from their enemies, a young dragon named Sephira and her young rider, Aragon, come across an enormous range of mountains called the Bayor Mountains, whose peaks are so tall they rise up above the clouds and cannot be seen. With their newfound strength as dragon and rider, the two attempt to transcend these transcendent peaks. As they fly higher and higher above the clouds, striving to reach the top, Sephira nearly dies from the cold, from the elements, and Aragon, the rider, he passes out in her saddle as he runs out of breath. By, by grace, they arrive back to the ground, back to the valley. And as they recover on the ground in the valley below, humbled, both dragon and rider realize that some mountains simply are not meant to be climbed. At either end, at either side of the season of Lent that we begin on Ash Wednesday, there is a mountain. At either end of the 40 days that we journey from here to there, there's mountains, two peaks that tower over the valley that lies below. Today, as you heard, Jesus and a few of his disciples climb one of those peaks, the mountain of his transfiguration, where flanked by two of the great spiritual leaders of the Hebrew scriptures, Moses and Elijah, Jesus, on the mountain, gets lit up like someone on the Vegas Strip. Not surprisingly, on the mountain with Jesus in his full glory, shining like he's been bleached by Clorox, the disciples want to stay a while. They want to hang out here. It's a nice place to be up and away from all the trouble they want to hang out with the glorified Jesus and these two legends of the faith. But God has other plans for them, plans that involve a journey down this mountain and up another mountain that's just outside of Jerusalem. The disciples' burning desire to stay up on this mountain so they could roast s'mores by the fire with Jesus is quickly extinguished when a cloud, and when you're high up in the mountain, this happens, a cloud passes over the mountain and they're in this cloud and in this cloud they hear a voice and it's the voice of God saying, this is my son, the chosen. Listen to him. And the cloud disappears. Jesus is back to his normal self, and they head back down the mountain. Back down to the valley where people are living and working and serving. Back down to the valley so Jesus can continue on to the other mountain. The other mountain at the end of Lent, the peak of his passion a mountain that he will climb all by himself. It's a beautiful day in February. There are hundreds of places you could be besides right here. It's nice enough to walk the church. It's unbelievable. And yet you're here gathering in this place. So it tells me that somewhere along your journey, more than likely you had an experience of God. You encountered God at some point in your life and that encounter has kept you coming back wanting for more. Maybe it wasn't on a mountaintop. Maybe you didn't see Jesus or hear the voice of God. But most of us here, I'm guessing, had some kind of transcendent experience that set us on the path of faith. And if we didn't have that kind of experience and we're still wondering if we ever will, we're longing for it to happen, we'd love to have the kind of undeniable encounter with God that Peter, James, and John had on top of that mountain, a multi-sensory experience not just the presence of God, but the glory of God too. The trouble is, some mountains just aren't meant to be climbed. 
I was at the rec center, the Cleveland Heights rec center this week for some basketball games, and I saw a t-shirt. The guy who was wearing it was ripped, so I could read all the words clearly. It said, no grind, no glory. No grind, no glory. And that shirt got me wondering if that's how most of us see our discipleship, see our journey of faith. No grind, no glory. I worry that too many of us see the spiritual life as an intense struggle or process that we are lifting ourselves up to higher and higher climbs. We're struggling up the side of a mountain. It's no wonder we resist the journey at all. This no grind, no glory certainly is the message we will get tonight as we watch the good part of the game, the commercials. Companies have spent millions of dollars, not only on the ad time, but on hiring the best psychologists to get you to believe that what you need to do is climb a peak, to climb up the mountain of success or wealth or beauty or achievement or sexuality. You have to climb something a little bit higher to find what you are looking for. Every one of the ads you see tonight, whether they're selling potato chips, cars, or website domains, every one of them will make the case that where we are, where you are, there is simply not enough. You have to climb just a little bit higher to find what you're looking for. When I was a kid, I was a scout, and we hiked and camped, and I was fortunate one year to hike the Continental Divide, the Continental Divide in New Mexico. I was hiking so high I was above the tree line. From that high in altitude, I could see clearly for miles and miles. It was a transcendent, exhilarating experience. Standing miles above the valley below with all its people and problems and pollution was amazing. The perspective I got was inspiring. But the longer we stood above the tree line, the more confused and dazed and lightheaded I became. Because as beautiful as it is up there on a mountaintop, you can't stay there for long. You can't stay there for long and really survive. Perhaps that's why Peter's response today in the story we heard is so telling. It's been my experience that when people have a mountaintop experience, instead of inspiring them to re-engage their life, they live every day with more passion and purpose, what often happens when we have a mountaintop experience is that we get lulled into this desire to set up shop on top of the mountain, to pitch a tent, to build some stands, to stay there a while up and away from all the troubles of ordinary life even if after a while we find ourselves gasping for air. There's a part of us that longs to be somewhere else, to be someone else, to transcend all of this. All of our ambitious pursuits for greatness, for good grades, for a better body, for holiness, for transcendence, for more and more, all of those things at their core reflect a spiritual longing for something more something or someone that can be found somewhere else, not here, maybe up there far, far away. Which is tragic, really, because everything we've learned about God in the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament, everything we learn about God through our own personal experience teaches us that the God we worship and serve has chosen to dwell down in the valley where we live. I made the mistake, my wife made the mistake, of exposing our children to Hamilton. 
If you and your family haven't started playing the Hamilton soundtrack that tells the story of Alexander Hamilton, do so with caution. Once you start playing it, you will not stop and you will all be singing along. What I've learned through these songs is after years of being obsessed, and Alexander Hamilton was obsessed with building a legacy, a memory, a mountain that would last forever. After years of being obsessed with this, founding father Alexander Hamilton dealt with the unimaginable, the death of a son, Philip, a son who died protecting his father's legacy he spent years building. As Hamilton grieves his son's death and his part in it, he is also picking up the pieces of his marriage, another relationship of his that suffered from his obsession of climbing the mountain of immortality. Despite all that Alexander Hamilton accomplished as an orphan and an immigrant and the only founding father not to come from privilege, despite the undying love of his wife, Eliza, the friendship of the greatest hero of our nation, George Washington, and having a front row seat at building the American dream, for Hamilton, it was never, ever enough. In the hit Broadway musical, that bears his name and tells a story, there's this song where Hamilton grieves his son's death. And as he grieves his son's death and sings with his wife, Eliza, for a moment he seems to grasp the futility of always climbing another mountain. In a duet with Eliza, his estranged and grieving wife, Hamilton sings, Look at where we are. Look at where we started. I know I don't deserve you, Eliza, but hear me out. That would be enough. If I could spare his life, if I could trade his life for mine, he'd be standing here right now, and you would smile. And that would be enough. I don't pretend to know the challenges we are facing. I know there's no replacing what we lost, and you need time, but I'm not afraid. I know who I married. Just let me stay here by your side. That would be enough. The glory you're looking for, the transcendence you seek, it's not up there. It's down here. And it's enough. Jesus climbed the mountains that were not built to climb. He paid the price for the ascent that we cannot afford to pay. And when he was done, he didn't stay up there. He came back down the mountain that all might find life in the valley below. We don't have to ascend some attainable height or build some great legacy, or make ourselves look better than we are, or try to recreate our first experience of God to know and experience the glory of God each and every day. We simply need to stand where we are on the ground on which we stand and trust that everything we're searching for, longing for, has already been given to each and every one of us. We simply need to believe that when Jesus came down from the mountain and from the cross, he brought the glory of God with him. During this upcoming season of Lent, my family has forbidden me from taking my normal Lenten discipline, which is giving up caffeine. It's a heroic act, I think, to give up caffeine coldly and blindly on Ash Wednesday, but it also was kind of self-centered and all about me. This year I'm going to try something different that I invite you to try with me. I'm going to try to keep it really simple I'm going to commit 
to spending at least five minutes of each day sitting quietly, no small thing, in God's presence. Every day I'm going to take at least five minutes to turn off my phone, close my to-do list, not look at my emails, and find a quiet room in my house, which won't be easy. And in that room I'm going to close the door, I'm going to sit as close to the ground as I physically am able to sit, and I'm going to sit there in the quiet, breathing in the present moment. Someone asked in Education Hour if five minutes was enough. Was I being nice to you by only giving you five minutes instead of 10 or 15 or 20? Yeah, I guess. But here's the thing. If we believe God is here, that God has come down from the cross and the mountain to dwell with us, why wouldn't five minutes be enough for something amazing to happen? Why don't we call God's bluff and breathe in the presence of God each and every day. So five minutes, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try to take in a little of glory every morning or every night as I sit in the ordinary and extraordinary valley that is my life. And I invite you to join me because wherever you are on the journey, God is there showering you with grace upon grace. At either side of the season of Lent, there is a mountain At either end of the 40-day journey we're about to begin, there are peaks that tower over the valley below. And these mountains of transfiguration and crucifixion are not our mountains to climb. But like all mountains, they do sustain and protect the life in the valley that lies between them. This Lent, remember. Remember that Jesus has climbed the mountains that we are built to climb but also remember that he came down from them into the valley where we live, carrying with him all of God's glory, a glory that is given to us where we are, a glory that makes our faces shine like the sun, a glory that by God's grace is enough. Amen.